HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd has been brought to you by Academy Opus Cassius. The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training in the heart of France. For more information, visit academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greg Blaze recording live from Italy. I'm your host of Cutting the Curd. And um, today, you know, I'm lucky enough to have one of my favorite regular customers and vintner, part time stuntman, uh, Kyle McLaughlin. And um, thanks so much for stopping by and giving me a little bit of your time today, Kyle. My pleasure. Nice to be here. <laughs> so, you know, this is a cheese podcast, and I know that, um, that you're, you're a vintner, but also a food lover in my in my. In my experience with you at the counter, you're one of my favorite customers. You're engaging. Um, you always have great stories, and I know that you love the stuff. Um, you pretend when you come up um, that you don't, not that you don't like the cheese, but you're always trying to get off the cheese, you know. And my relationship with uh, with a lot of my customers is that of like a like a dealer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I give you a taste, and you're kind of hooked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you always seem to choose the exact right thing for me, <laughs> and, and I appreciate that. Um, I mean, you've done so many great things um, that that I really have enjoyed. You know, I mean, I was a huge Twin Peaks fan. Um, I was told by my producer Emily that I could not call you Agent Dale Cooper because that was really bad, but I want to really, really badly. <laughs> that's that, uh, that's the role that is definitely um, I think stood the test of time and, and probably most people's favorite that, that know me, I guess. So. Well, I mean, I also, I mean, I loved all your stuff. Love Blue Velvet. I mean, I was a fan of Portlandia. You're doing um, Agents of the Shield now out there in LA. Yeah, right? Agents of Shield. We've been filming. We're actually, I'm finished filming the second season, um, and I think the next show is going to be coming up. Uh, we're on Tuesday nights, but the season's almost finished, and uh, give the writers about two weeks of break, and then we'll be back at it uh, in July. 
right on, man. Right. I I mean, I love you no, know, I, I love the fact that you can come in and, and interact um, interact with us. And Thanks. you're one of our you're just one of our favorite customers. Um, are there any other prospects on the horizon that we should know about? Are you doing any more food stuff? I know you you own your own uh, winery out there. Yeah, yeah. I work with uh, Dunham Cellars in Walla Walla. Um, which is an eastern Washington state. I'm from Yakima, which is also eastern Washington, so that's kind of what drove me to look into possibly making wine, you know, up there. And uh, so we've been, uh, I've been involved with uh, with them in a partnership for about, well, almost uh, 12 years, I guess, since 2005. More, yeah, well, well 10 years, I guess. Um, and um, we've got seven vintages out. We just released a 2011 Cabernet. And going really well, so you're enjoying it. I love it. You know, it brings me back home. A few, yeah, a few times a year, I'm up there five or six times a year just to check on things and do the blending and and uh, up for harvest. Uh, I was just there, in fact, uh, for their spring release, which uh-huh. is the the big event that they have every year, um, welcoming the welcoming the new wines into the world. Yeah, and um, so that was. Uh, I'm just back from there now, but I love it. It's um, it's interesting. Um, I always find when you say that it brings you home, you know, mm. um, to me that's, I mean, it figuratively, I mean, I mean, literally brings you home because mm-hmm. that's where you're from, but figuratively, I, would, I can only speculate that it brings you home because of the way it tastes and the representation of, like, of the land that's, uh, that's around it or the place that's yes. around it. Yes, those are all, all true things. It's, I find it interesting to come back to a place that I didn't, that there was really no wine culture up there when I was in school. I graduated high school in 77 ah. and nothing really existed. In fact, that year, 77, is when one of the, the first winery in Walla Walla was bonded. The Leonetti Cellars came into being. So um, there was nothing there. It's nice to go back and look at the land and, and see it as something other than what I remember, which is sagebrush and, <laughs> and uh, rocks and rattlesnakes. And suddenly it has all these um, beautiful locations where um, vines are planted, grapes are being produced, and, and really good quality. And, and as you work within the Columbia Valley, which is a pretty large area, you have tremendous variety in, in what's produced there. And that's that's part of the exploration. I imagine it's probably true with cheese. I mean, there's so many different varietals, even coming from the same probably local area, just different tastes and flavors, how each person makes it. So yeah. some similarities to there, I think. Well, there's, there's, there are. For, uh, for me, uh, you know, I try to make light, you know, when I'm working at the counter, crack a few jokes, you know. Break, um, you know, break down the bonds. I find a lot of times people come to the cheese counter; they're a little afraid of it. Cheese is a little bit mysterious, right? And um, people taste things that they don't think that they're going to like. And one of the reasons why I feel that they do that is because cheese is one of the most accurate representations of taste of place, mm. and, it, yeah. and it, tra- I, it it transports me back uh, to home. I'm a country boy, mm. and I feel like that when you eat cheeses, mm. you know. They're a time capsule, and they unlock memories that are way, way, way back in the file cabinet of mm. your mind. Mm. You know, mm. and um, so for a second, you get to become a you know, that child again, or right. like when things were fresh and not that it spoiled, but they were just different. You yeah, know? yeah. That what happens to me when I have Velveeta. <laughs> yeah, me too. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, you everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I fed you a little bit of cheese from your from your home state here. Oh, um, ah, lovely. We're eating two cheeses um, this morning up in the private dining room in Italy. Starting out our day right with a you know with a little breakfast of cheese. One's called Sawtooth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made in the Cascadian Creamery, um, yeah. which is a newer creamery that a friend of mine forages for cheese up in and around uh, the Pacific Northwest. No kidding. Yeah, he goes to all the farms there and pulls yeah. some stuff out. This is a washed rind cow cheese, raw milk. Uh, sometimes they wash it in the local beer. Mm-hmm. Nice and toothsome. And mm-hmm. then we have the Sleeping Beauty, which is more of like a tome, almost like a carafilly. So I wanted to pay homage to where... Um, uh, I just had the Sleeping Beauty. It's fantastic. That's good stuff. Oh, my God. Um, so... Like cream. Mm. What's your... You know, this is going to ask you a generic question, but yeah. I can anyway. Uh, what's your favorite cheese and why? Um, I've... Um, of a particular font, it's an easy answer. Um, Parmigiana, to right. me, is just when it's done right, and you have numerous options here. Which I remember the first time I saw the the case, and I saw you could not only get just Parmigiana, but you yeah. could get twenty four month, you could get thirty six month, I was yeah. like eighteen month. I was like, how is it possible that you have all this these options? You know, yeah. but, but then that's Italy, you know. Um, so I go. I went through the different. The different months and use them for different purposes. I just like a chunk of that sitting on a counter with a with a knife to sort of crack it open. Yeah, pull it apart. Oh my god! And it's um, you know, if it's got that sort of salt crunch, a um, little bit of a little bite on it. Yeah. Um, and I just I'll just sit there and have that. That to me, that almost to me is not cheese though. Right. Uh, you know, when I say that I'm, you say I'm trying to get off dairy, which I mean I'm not trying to get off dairy. I just you know in small in small amounts. Sure. But I don't think of Parmesan as dairy, so that <laughs> it's no. like another type of food. And that was one of the things that you said to me that made me realize you were you know you were a true believer that you were one of us because uh, Parmesan was sort of like like I said it's like breathing or it's mm. just that object that transcends mm. food. You know. Mm. For me, it's just because it's such a representation of where it comes from. It's so versatile, mm. and you work it into uh, you know into your cuisine and on I pretty much every level. I agree. I mean, I cook a lot, so it's definitely an, um, an integral part of some of the things that I make. My son is uh, going to be seven in July, so majority of my focus in the kitchen is on finding something that he'll eat. Right. That's that's healthy that I can make for him. That's interesting. That may lead him. To be more experimental in his palate, which is not really happening yet, but I'm holding out hope. Yeah, but he'll get there. We will. I mean, you and I, you know, we had the Velveeta, and somehow we managed to pick ourselves up out of the gutter of eating that, you know, and move on to better food experiences. Yes, yes. So there's hope for him. You're going to start him young. Good, good. (laughs) Yes. Well... Obviously, you're a, you're a food lover, um, as I know you, you know, in, in our scope, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you always been in love with your food? Has it always interested for you or have been an interesting thing for you besides, you know, the obvious right. need to consume it? And did you have a right. moment, like an aha moment, where right. you realized that food was just the shit and you went right. to get into it really, you know? To it, it was, um, I never had an aha, I don't think I had an aha moment. Maybe there was, I just... I can't recall, but I do remember um, being aware that my dad was pretty much the cook in the house. Yeah. So anything that, that uh, came from the kitchen, he was responsible for. Um, and a lot of the things that he and my mom ate, I, I had no interest in. I was a really picky eater when I was when I was younger, so I can't really blame my son, although he's, he's better than I am. Um, 
most of the stuff he made was grill based, I yeah. guess, being the dad. He yeah. Would be outside, rain or shine. Cooking meat, drinking, drinking a beer. Meat, drinking a beer, that was exactly it. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, meat early on was was important and, and he would make great hamburgers and steak and things like that. So I always loved those things. The other things came along, you know, as I began, as I left uh, home to go to school, to go to college. Yeah. It was really about me. In fact, I was in a fraternity for a short period of time, and I was the weekend cook, of course. as my dad was. Yeah. And so back in his day, so we actually had the same kitchen in our history at the house at the, in the fraternity in the Beta House when I was <laughs> at school. And uh, I, I can't cool. say it was really cooking that was very in, you know um, involved, other than just sort of opening cans of stuff and, and putting heat underneath it. Right. Pretty much that was it, and, and then cleaning up and getting done at the end of the day. But. Uh, that's that really started it, and then I branched out uh, my own and and started making stuff when I was um, when I was going to acting school. Uh-huh. So I had to make stuff that I could I could cook and make, and then I could come home for like with that one hour break that I had and heat up. So I'd like make a quiche thing, and I could just heat up. I make soups and stuff yeah. like that. And I got you know my first cookbooks. So the Moosewood, oh of course, the Moosewood, Moosewood cookbook. cookbook. Yeah. Um, Molly Katzen's book was great. I remember uh, Laurel's Kitchen. Yeah. Um, I used as well the Tassahara bread book was uh, when I started making bread. So I, I kind of jumped in all the way into the kind of the health side of things, you know. Yeah, totally. Then um, that's pretty much the same. I get that. I get that yeah. completely. Yeah, start. You got to start there, and then these you know, they, these books lead you along. And I would work at the uh, the Puget Consumers Co-op up there, of where I do my shopping. And um, I started getting into different cheeses, and then raw milk cheeses. Yeah. And uh, still pretty general. You know, um, there wasn't anything that was more exotic than kind of raw milk, you know, cheddar, these kind of things. But I started it. We we. We did a great episode, you know, based on raw milk. Um, you know, our our government is uh, is trying desperately to legislate out things like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, but you know of the power of raw milk. Um, yeah. You know, there was um, a great episode of uh, of one of your great gigs of Portlandia, where right. you know they they guzzled the raw milk and then you know could suddenly build skyscrapers through the, because of the power <laughs> the power of it. <laughs> I love it. Um, and we were wondering, as fans of that show, you know, we did an episode, we, we did a great series uh, um, earlier, um, maybe a little bit last year on uh, right. on cheese and art. Mm. Uh, so we, can, we did cheese and film, where we went to see, you know, I went to see the, the, little, the little film that just sort of came out about, um, oh, the town... Oh, wait a minute, the box trolls. Mm, we, yeah. were, we were checking out. Okay. And uh, we, we figured, uh, you know, that... That those things went went really well together. We did cheese and music. Musicians become cheese makers a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Or cheese making and cheese mongery, I found, attracts a lot of people who are of a creative nature. People went to school, you know, to, uh, yes. to get in a creative nature. Yes. Um, but we were wondering, you know, why you didn't do a cheese episode yet in Portlandia? Is it, like, not cool enough to, to make fun of yet? Or you, could you think you could make a show totally about, about cheese? I will suggest it. I'll suggest it to Fred and Carrie and see if we can somehow... Um Put that into the mix. The characters of cheesemakers and cheesemongers might uh-huh. be good. Uh, no, it's a good idea. It's, be- it's a very good idea. There's, in fact, there's a. Um, I know a couple of cheese um, cheesemakers, goat cheesemakers, actually, in outside of Walla Walla, uh-huh. in a little town there um, called Dayton, uh, the Monteliers, and um, 
I go to visit them when I come up there. When I go to Walla Walla to do my wine stuff, yeah, you know, you can't you can't really be in the cellar all day. So we journey out and visit with them, and they they make m- many different varieties of goat cheese, and that's a hard work, man. I mean, the cheesemakers bust ass all oh the time. Oh my gosh, you know that's. Um, it's you know milking twice a day. It's up early. It's like you got to take care of your flock. You, it's it's a lot of work. And it's a you know as a as a winemaker, you know you you respect the process oriented nature of those things. Yes, you know, the, the winemaking process is so you know sets cut its sand. I imagine I've, ne- I've never I've seen the cheese yeah. making process, but you got to get once you get into that world, I find you get a lot more respect. For it, you know, when you realize what goes into it and yes. also what it supports. Yes, I agree. It's it's also you know, wine making is has, has the luxury of downtime when the wine is basically just in the barrels, yeah, you're sleeping in the to, barrels, waiting yeah. for it to do its thing. Um, so in the wine world, you have you know moments of great activity where you work long, long hours during harvest and getting and getting everything in and getting the process. But once it kind of gets out and gets in those barrels then you can kind of that's when you sit back and have a beer yeah it's always a good time to mm-hmm. sit back and have a beer mm-hmm. you know um, it takes a lot of beer to make wine that's the expression yeah we did <laughs> you know, sure it takes a lot of beer to make cheese well it's true and we, we always talk about pairings or people are always talking about pairings um, and I'm always of the of the belief that um, that beer and cheese are a much more natural pairing than wine and cheese for the simple fact that you know cows don't eat grapes Right, you know right. they're grazing on the grass. Right, um, right. They're a good marriage. We we, but then again, we will pair cheese with pretty much anything. You know? <laughs> I think cheese goes with pretty much anything. It's pretty awesome. And these two that you've chosen here are unbelievable. And I'm just going to plug you one more time. So we had a in our art show, uh, we mm. had a performance artist who came on, and uh, she had made breast milk cheese. Oh, I think I may have heard about this. It was an intense show, man. Yeah, you know, and yeah. uh, that's yeah. the that's the episode you have to pitch to the guys at, at Portlandia. You know? I agree with you. That would be perfect. That that those two things alone um, would definitely make their way into the, based into the Portlandia world. I she think. was an intense girl, man. She the way the, you know you have to be or you have to be thinking of a certain way. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. A taste of place like I don't think I would have ever eaten the cheese. Yeah, because I don't want you know, you know how you know the grapes taste are fed from the land. You know right. I don't know if I want to drink or eat milk that's based on a New York City diet of like Subway air, <laughs> possible tobacco, <laughs> things like that. Things like that. I yeah, there'd be more reasons why I wouldn't want to try that cheese and that but I you know who knows the sky's the limit when you make cheese what else can you make cheese out of I don't know it has well, to be uh, marsupials the thing is you know the way the milk is is constructed physically yeah. you know you have to have a certain amount of a percentage of fat yeah. to make the the processes work you know right. um, I've had cheeses made of yak's milk yeah. um, I had some from Tibet some butter and cheese from there and right. I tasted it probably almost 15 years ago and I can still taste it in my mouth it's pretty now. strong right well it was like licking the underbelly of like a really sweaty animal is okay. what I can so just carry that with okay, you okay that's great for most of the day okay <laughs> I don't know if that's cheese I would prefer but when you have no choice I guess you gotta use what's around you gotta use what's around you well we're gonna take a short break but I'll be right back with Kyle McLaughlin and we're gonna shoot the bull about cheese for a little bit longer Thank you. 
The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. When you come to learn at the Academy, we instill our love for cheese, our expertise, and our experience so that you can support artisanal producers, impeccably care for the fine cheeses you carry, and serve your customers with skill and enthusiasm. We integrate hands-on practice, formal instruction, and classroom discussion in all of our courses. The Academy's programs are offered at the Mons Fromagerie in the heart of France, where cheese undergoes affinage and cheeses are received, prepared, and shipped. Several Mons retail shops are nearby. The surrounding countryside is the home to producers whose excellent cheeses are cared for by the Mons team. The Mons cheese business has more than 50 years' experience caring for and teaching about cheese in France, a country known as the source of some of the world's greatest cheeses, deepest cheese tradition, and the highest level of technological research and rigor in cheese making and ripening. The Academy has been recognized by the American Cheese Society as the first approved education center for those preparing for the certified cheese professional exam. Enroll now for Essential Foundations for Cheese Professionals or Affinage, the Art and Science of Maturing Cheese. For more information, visit www.academy-mons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. Certified Cheese Professional is a registered trademark of the American Cheese Society. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. This is Greg Blaze. We're here at Italy doing an early morning recording session with uh, with Kyle McLaughlin. And, um, you know, we were we were talking before the break, um, you know, about the last time you were on the Heritage Radio Network about a year ago on the food scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really serious show. It's a great show. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I was... Uh, I mean, he's he's much more serious than I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely a prankster. Um, I like that. I like that. But a lot of folks, and if they hadn't listened to the show, they they know that you're not also only a talented actor, but a wine connoisseur. Your mm. own wine label, pursued by Bear, made with uh, Dunham and Walla Walla, which you alluded to. Right. Um, right. And I want our listeners to go back and you know to check out that episode episode in the food scene, uh, which is cataloged on the Heritage Radio Network org. But um, I wonder if you could just recap and take us back a bit through the origins of that project, you know, and how did you get into, how did you get into wine? I've always loved wine ever since I was in high school, uh, preferred it to beer. At that time, of course, I've changed my ways now. Yeah. Now I like them both. Um, and the uh, living in Los Angeles gave me the opportunity to travel up to Napa when I was younger a lot. And so I would make that journey and basically just jump into wineries and see what was going on. Um, started by buying, you know, inexpensive, not very good wine. Some Rioniti. Some exactly. Boone, oh, Boone's Farm. Uh, Liebfrau Milch, Blue Nun, <laughs> um, any of that stuff. Things available in 24-hour stores, possibly. All of that. <laughs> and is, after a while, you, you, you hopefully graduate from that into stuff that's more interesting. And I just always enjoyed it and learning about it. And, and it really didn't come about until... Um, I started hearing about this the wine world in Washington and how it was taking off and became interested in tasting Washington wines and being really impressed with the quality of what was coming out of there and uh, and I by quite by chance I met Eric Dunham uh, Dunham Sellers and um, we became friends 
And I asked him finally when I felt comfortable enough if he would partner with me on this small production of Cabernet because that was the great that was the, the grape that I preferred. Yeah. And he completely agreed right out of the out of the out of the um, out of the gate. That was like fantastic. So that was I, I met him in 2002. Our first vintage was 2005. And um, we haven't looked back since then, you know, and we're sourcing yeah. from some fantastic sites in Washington State. So. Well, and in the land you find, you, so you said where you're from is tumbleweeds, arid, or, or different It's climate. very dry. There's, you know, there's, um, the Columbia Valley is, is this basically a series of, um, that's a, one large valley, and there's, there are rivers here, you know, here and there, but irrigation is tremendously important. You get a lot of heat yeah. um, all summer long. Soil is so-so, which is really good for grapes. You don't want something yeah. that's too uh, rich or fertile. Um, and you want a place where you can control the water. So we have all these ingredients in Washington, and just they just they produce fantastic wine. Um, low yields, uh, you, uh, traditionally in the vineyards, and as I said, you can control the water up there. So it just makes sense, and it's exploded. They're all, think it's over, massive now. Oh my God! There's over 800 wineries, and um, it grows every. It continues to grow. I mean, every month there are new wineries that come online. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, so I jumped in early, and I thought, what a great way to, to to learn about it was to make it, you know. And it's been a great journey. Like, I know for myself, the cheeses, you know, are the like they're sort of the window through which I. I see the world when, mm-hmm. when I'm having a lousy day, when I'm down, when I'm depressed. Right. I know I can always go and interface with these objects, right. you know. Right. And and it's a serious thing. Yeah. And you know, I know you're you're an actor. It's you know it, that's a serious thing that you do, obviously. And right. You're great at it. Right. But Thank I mean, you. like, you know, like, do you get that same? I I mean, I know exactly what you're speaking about because. Um, when you make something, you have a tremendous appreciation for it. Or if you love something, obviously you love cheese. I don't know if you've made cheese or if you've journeyed and made that journey yet. I've seen the process many yeah. times, but it's different. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where I think if you, um, if you are, are as closely involved in something as you are in cheese as I am with wine, you, you get an appreciation for what the effort that it takes, you know, for... Um, the love and the care that goes into this product and that you hope people will appreciate, you know. So when you look at something, you go, oh, yeah, this represents to me this person or this region or this family or these cows or goats or whatever it is. And it has a real, it speaks to you of of a very specific kind of thing. And it's the same in the wine world. You take a bottle, you say, okay, this comes from here. It's made by this person. This is the process. Uh, you know, you maybe you remember drinking it at a certain occasion that bring you know have a wonderful memory. The memories, yeah. So yeah. it brings all that into focus, and I think any kind of specialty item like that, wine or cheese, beer, the same thing. If it's a, if it's a if it's a craft beer, yeah. You know, it's the love and the care that goes into creating these objects that hopefully people will enjoy. Uh, completely. I mean, I've always thought beer was a, such a necessity based thing. Mm. Uh, wine, wine is a. Is a different thing with almost the same almost the same uh, origins. Mm-hmm. Cheese is also very necessity a necessity mm-hmm. based thing, but there's that time capsule. You know, mm-hmm. when you really when you really go deep into it, you're thinking, I'm having a a year old glass of milk. You know, mm-hmm. what was that animal eating mm-hmm. on that particular day? Was mm-hmm. it sunny? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. you know, and how happy they were. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, 
and for you know, like I said, it gets me, it gets me off, or it gets me, you know, excited to, yeah. to do to do those sort of things. Well, you have a, an amazing selection of cheeses down there you, that you have curated. Um, yeah, you man, know, because it's, it's, it's you, and and between the cheeses and the, and the, the obviously the deli meats there, and things that you, that you have that are all all chosen with care, you know, all yeah. chosen with intention, you yeah. know, and I think that that's. That's what makes your shop and that area there so wonderful and why I keep coming back to it. I thought it was for my winning personality. There's that too. (laughs) There's that too. And the the free samples. Yeah, well, the free samples are good. I'm Uh, I'm like a heavy-handed bartender, you know what I mean? I get that reputation when I do pourings, you know, for tastings and stuff. They call me Heavy Pour McLaughlin. Heavy Pour McLaughlin. Yeah, yeah. So people always (laughs) cluster around my station because they know they're going to get a lot of wine. (laughs) That's rad. Um, so, are your wines available out here in uh, New York State? Have you yeah. distributed? Yeah, I've got distribution here with a company called Regal Imports. They've uh-huh. got it and, um, in a number of restaurants in and around Manhattan. Um, we sell retail at uh, the Chelsea Wine Vault. Uh, we would be here, but this is an Italian-based uh, wine store at Italy, so yeah. it's, it's only Italy. Um, although I'm trying to twist their arm. Um, so Chelsea Wine Vault, Manhattan Wine Exchange has it. Um, a few smaller places around town have it as well. So. I always think just because in, in my my limited wine knowledge, but I'm like you, you know. I ask, you know, I ask you what you like. I would ask you what you like about the cheese. You're like, well, it's just good. It's obviously right. good, right? You know. So my like, I was listening to you. You know, you on the food um, the food scene. You know, and your descriptors are you know mm. aren't canned, but they're refined. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how to describe the 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 wine and. Yeah. I would say that the wines from Washington State are very approachable to people. Yep. Uh, the Pinot Noir and, um, right. the, and and those those red wines from there right. are so drinkable. Yeah. You know? Sunny cuisine. They are um, they're built um, with the idea that they should pair with food, you know. And they're for the most part, the wines from Washington are very balanced. Yeah, not too heavy on the fruit, not too heavy on the on the tannins. It has a, one, a natural acidity to it, so it pairs well with cheese. Anything with a lot of fat pairs well with cheese. Any kind of meat like that. There is um, there's a there's a terroir that almost exists throughout Washington State. Like if you take take a Washington wine, you're going to recognize it immediately for the the dark berry fruits that it has. Yeah. Um, those those beautiful almost kind of cherry kind of cola qualities. Um, but it has just um, a tremendous sense of of place, I think, and. The, um, you know, the, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the brightness in the, in the wine and the ageability of the wine is very, very strong. That's really awesome. Yeah. I, love, I love that. For me, like I said, it's all about that. I do my job because I get those kind of experiences, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm going to hit you with one question that I've yep. always been dying to ask you. And I've, I've known you through, you know, well, usually you only see me from the waist up, which is which is good. Nobody <laughs> nobody needs to see that, you know, mm-hmm. from the waist down. But yeah, you I, ruin the appetite then. Yeah, that, that wouldn't be good. You may not come back and purchase cheese from me again. And I can't have that. You're a good customer. But I always wanted to ask you, um, you know, you were in one of my favorite films of all time because I'm a twisted man and mm. in Blue Velvet mm. Um, mm. and I always wanted to ask you what it was like to work with a, with Dennis Hopper on that oh. film Dennis um, Dennis was amazing in that film obviously incredible he, scary yeah. He was um, such a nice man. You know, he had issues um, with substance and stuff like that, and he had been clean on Blue Velvet for a couple of years, and uh, it was part of his 
uh, comeback isn't really the right word, but he was returning, let's say, yeah. to the film business in a different way with, a, a, I think, a greater sense of, of himself and responsibility. Yeah. And so he was able to channel, I think, some of his early personality issues, let's yeah. say, into this character of Frank Booth. And uh, working opposite him, I had to do very little but just react to what he gave me because it was so frightening, so powerful, um, so dark, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he himself as the man couldn't have been more delightful, just really fun, really interesting, so many interests, you know. I mean, his, his, his art sensibility was extraordinary, um, so well-connected, such great stories. Mm. He himself was in a movie that's my favorite, which is Apocalypse Now, so I Absolutely. bombarded him with questions about that, um, and he very graciously answered them all. Um, it, it was an extraordinary experience, you know, to work with him, Isabella, Laura Dern, Dean Stockwell. I mean, these are giants in our industry, you know. Um, and it was, I, I was, you know, uh, over the moon. It was amazing. It's, it's really wonderful when you, when you get to work with people who, you know, when you're not in awe, like you're not starstruck with them, but the people you respect and you admire. Mm. I get that here. I work, you know, I work... Mm. I have to interface with like Mario Batali and mm-hmm. Joe Mastianich and, yep. and Lydia and uh, all manners of like of, uh, of chefs but they when you're with them and you're working with them you know and it's nothing like that I mean I'm, I'm a grocery store clerk so I wouldn't compare you know what I'm me to what, what I, you're well, I would about. say you're a lot more than that I wouldn't put yourself that in that category but it's great I've always found just to be around people mm-hmm. that um, and I don't know if this is the same for you like when you think Oh man, I'm I'm gonna mess up. Like I'm on this guy's level or someone else's level. Right. And then when you realize when you're working with them, that like, yeah, man, I kind of kick ass at this. I'm yeah, like, I'm, I'm well, doing it well. Yeah, there was a well, there's a mutual respect, I think, and appreciation, and you know, you wouldn't be doing what you did unless you're great at it. I, same for me. It's like I'm good at what I do. Um, that said. And I know exactly what you're saying when, when you said those feelings because each every new job I get is like, wow, am I going to remember <laughs> what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. You know, and it's like it's, there's a little bit of butterflies, you know, that first day, and then you then you, everything kicks in. And you're like, yes, of course, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's a yeah. good feeling, man. Yeah, Apocalypse is. Now is also my favorite. Uh, well, it's one of my top three favorite movies. Yes. Yes. Um, it was a movie that was put on generally in the apartments that I lived on. After 2 a.m., uh-huh. uh, because you were in that frame of mind, yes. you know what I mean? Yes, perfect. And just to be able to see Captain Willard do his uh, oh. do his thing out there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm totally with you. I can quote so many lines from that from that film. It, it had made a great impression on me when I was younger. Um, so, that uh, yeah, that stands the test of time, I think. Terminate with extreme prejudice. Yes, extreme <laughs> prejudice. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, Francis Ford Coppola, he's, I mean, that's... I don't know if he's been better. That's just one of my favorites. That's a kick-ass movie. It took a long time to make. I even watched the making thereof. But yep. um, few did. things in this world I find leave, lead up to the they live up to their hype, and that was one of the things that I did. agree. I agree. Well, I Kyle, agree. man, I want to thank you so much for your time That's and uh, for sharing a little cheese and you know and uh, hanging out with me here, you know, this morning at Italy and. Uh, 
you know, just sharing your love of food and, you know, just great. talking. It's been well, a good one. Good. Thanks, Greg. It's been really nice to talk to you, get to know you a little bit more, and uh, enjoy some great cheese here from uh, from Washington State. Not bad. Yeah, man. So hopefully we'll get you back on again, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll pin you down, I'll, you know, with more cheese questions. And uh, Sounds good. But I know I'll see you at the cheese counter nevertheless. Absolutely. So, thanks, man. Thanks, boss. This is Greg Blaze signing off for Cutting the Curd. Stay tuned. Next week we'll be live on the Heritage Radio Network. Take care. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.